Welcome to our mini episodes where we answer your biggest questions about money. All right, Barry Manilow. <laughs> so yeah, thanks for sending in the questions. I can't do a deep voice like that. <laughs> Just go here. Once you hit puberty, it'll work for you. All right. <laughs> so Alex messaged us and said, so too much of financial advice seems to be from the angle of someone who's in their early 20s, no fear and has a confident attitude. But what about your average cautious parent who just wants to learn a little better about finances and make good safe decisions for their family? I'd like to hear your personal perspectives of being fathers and how it's impacted the kind of decisions you make. You're still coming to grips with yours, aren't I'm you? Still, yeah, I know, mate. <laughs> Six months in and I'm still feeling a lot more, um, a lot more cautious. And also, for the first time in my life, I've actually looked at long-term investments. So like before I was always like, I want to be rich. I want to buy a car. I want to buy some gold. I want to go on holiday. I want to buy another car, I want to buy a house. Now I'm thinking, okay, if I put this investment away now, when my kid's 20, he'll have X amount. So I'm looking like 20 years down the line, whereas before it's only looking one to four years down the line, probably. Yeah. Or like six months to four years down the line. Yeah, you definitely think longer term. And I think as well, you know, all I did at the point where I, I had a child was I started to look at the structures that existed to help people invest long-term, like you say. So junior ISA, the junior SIP, uh, stocks and shares ISO, a pension, because at that point you have a responsibility to make sure that they're okay, but also that you're okay so that they're okay, you know, because if you don't want to die before they're 18 or whatever, or and there's nothing there. So I think, you know, it makes you, it makes you more sensible, but it also means you, you start to take more risks, but they're better risks. You know, in the past, like you say, the risks that you were taking were cars and gold and things, right? So now you're investing long-term, which some people might say is, carries a bit of risk as well, but. Yeah, but also when you're looking for the longer horizon, you can be less worried about aggressive returns and more be like stable long-term returns. So like even um, looking at bonds, uh, ISAs, stocks and shares, like everything, most of those are like quite long-term. Like, so you wouldn't really invest in the stock market for if you're trying to get the money out in six months, unless you're investing in individual stocks. But when I'm the way I'm looking at investing now is all for 10, 20, 30 years. Yeah. As a cautious parent, you know, what I would be doing if I was starting again would be, I'd make sure that the household had a solid emergency fund, which is three months worth of living costs. So if I was to lose work, I could, you know, support the family still for that period of time. I would then be investing inside of a stocks and shares ISA for myself and maximizing any pension options that I get through work. Um, and then also I would open a junior ISA for my child so that when they turn 18 to 25, I can support them in getting on the property ladder and then I would and I would be investing that in stocks and shares, not holding it as cash. And then I would also look at a junior SIP for them uh, to make sure that you know in retirement they're going to be okay. And then I boxed off that bit of getting them on the ladder and the retirement. They'll be more than okay if you do them a SIP at the set, age. Mate. Yeah. yeah. So with my open my, my little man's SIP. Yeah, you could put you could put boom. like ten pound a month into that. Yeah, and then by the time he's like yeah, sixty, I mean it, it. It might not be crazy numbers, but what it can mean is that. At the point they finally realized that to stop being a mess financially, you've got a SIP there that's already been ticking away where you can go look at what I've done for you over this time period and look at how that's grown and look at where it's at. Now it's your turn to start paying into it. You know, so most, I think most people don't get their head screwed on financially until maybe mid twenties, you, you know, and I mean, mid-30s. I think that's pretty early. I was going to say mid thirties. I mean, just from doing this podcast, a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of my friends are not financially like. No. They might have money in the bank. They might have like savings, but they don't have 
investments and they don't know what they're doing with their pension. They don't have, they haven't bought their first property. Like a lot of my friends are yeah. in their thirties in that position. And so. the, ju- the junior ISA, they can touch that at 18 and you can't stop them really. Whereas the junior SIP, they can't touch that until retirement age. So the good thing is it, it limits their ability to spunk it. Yeah. So they get to go through that journey and whenever they realize, oh crap, I actually need to save for my retirement, that's already there. You could even just stop contributing into it at the point they're 18. And like I said, 20 pound a month from a young age is going to make a massive difference. It's going to be something that's there. If I had a junior ice at age 18, I would have blown it in fresh as a week in uni. Yeah. Like the whole thing and just been like the biggest baller on campus. Yeah. And then had no ISA. So yeah, I think a, a junior a juniorship is probably better for- It's that ultimate security. You know that when you're long gone, that you know sorted, your, your yeah. son is sorted or at least got some money there. Well, pension concerns are massive for the future generations. But also, you did mention earlier, I would probably look at junior ISA mainly because to help them get on the property exactly. ladder. So yeah, like- like obviously, I want to help him you with could the put, deposit. You could invest within your own pot of money to do that, but then yeah. it uses up your own ISA allowance. No, I need that. <laughs> yeah. So you could do the ch- the child one instead and then just catch the letter when it hits the door yeah, and, yeah, when yeah, they're 18 and it, sit them down and go, this pot of cash, if you want it, it's for, your it's for a house only and I'm deposit. going on the deeds or something. Yeah. I don't know. You know, there's ways of doing it, isn't there? Yeah. But yeah, that's, I think that's pretty good advice. Yeah, that's, how, that's, you know, if you're talking sensible and cautious, I think- that's how I would be structuring it. That's how I do. Yeah. But obviously I've got a little risk appetite. So my tuck away one or two Bitcoin yeah, for the baby. Little, little yeah. Bitcoin in, like, in like 40 years of like, yo, you're, you're a millionaire. <laughs> <laughs> and it's nothing to do with crypto. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The next question. Do you want to read this one? Let's go for it. Swart, Swardy, 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 Swardy underscore seven asked us on Instagram. Where should I put my money as a higher rate taxpayer who has maxed out ISAs and premium bonds? Oh, this That's one, a question for Damien. So this, this reminds me of Lisa Conway Hughes and the conversation we had with her, if you remember. So she basically said that she had a client where she convinced them to pay £30,000 into pension to bring them into the lower rate taxpayer bracket. So from Swadi underscore sevens question there, it looks like maxed out the ISA, so put 20K in there, and then maxed out premium bonds, which means there's 50 grand in premium bonds. So I would be saying, what what about pension contributions? Because they're highly tax efficient, especially as a higher rate taxpayer. So yeah, I would be looking at pensions next, SIP, work-based, whatever your bag is. As someone who's not maxed out on ISAs and premium bonds, I could not tell you. So I go with Damien's advice. But, but it's not advice. Um, <laughs> Good point. Do, do, do you know about premium bonds? Do you know yeah. they are? Yeah, have you got some? Mm. No. No. They're a pretty terrible rate of return yeah. at the minute. You know I me, mean? that's not that's not gonna whet my appetite. No. No, I mean they're a lottery. They're, they're the one yeah, but it's just like gambling and I already gamble heavily in cryptocurrency, <laughs> so I don't need to increase my exposure. But yeah, you can win like you can win quite a nice prize, can't you? Like you, you can, can win, win up to a million quid. Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah. Once, that a, much. once a month a million quid, yeah, yeah. But how likely is that to happen? I think it's like one in 144 million or something stupid. You know, it's, it's however many people have got individual. I don't know. There's, there's billions in there. If, if, but the good thing about them is that you can sell them at any time and get your pound back. So from a perspective of if you play the lottery, you should probably not do that and buy premium bonds every week instead with the money because over time you'll build up a pot of cash that you can take out anytime you want. And you might win. I keep some of my emergency fund in there because it's like a roll of the dice. You know, it's 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 a bit of fun in a way that it might mean like I might, might hit the jackpot. They give loads of prizes, but yeah, it, it's not, it's not the best return, you know, in terms of interest. Unless you win. Yeah. If you win, obviously, but you know, 
the one person who wins a million takes away from everyone else who hasn't do you know what i mean yeah. so like the prizes even though the average payout might be like 1.5 percent or two percent or whatever it is the person who wins a million takes a lot of other people's prizes what do you want to ask us or future guests email us at making money at kindling.media or just slide into the dms This isn't advice. Whilst we discuss individual examples, we can't give you personal financial advice. What we can do is offer a perspective and discuss the issues. I'm Damo. I'm T. And we'll be back next week answering some more of your questions. Quick question from me and the Making Money team. Would you like us to come into your workplace to teach you and your colleagues more about personal finance? It's an absolute joke that we're not taught what to do with money. And this knowledge gap makes most people much poorer over their lifetimes. Take your work-based pension. Most people have no idea what the fund they're invested in does. And plenty of people just opt out altogether. We can cover whatever is most important from the basics to complex financial retirement planning supported by qualified financial advisors who are not there to sell you anything. We take different approaches for different people in a company depending on stuff like their age or their income. If you think people you work with could benefit from financial education, then please email will at getmost.co.uk. It doesn't matter what your role is in the business, we want to hear from you. So email will at getmost.co.uk. And I've left a link in the description for you. Here at Mindset Win, we want to give you the tools to become better at what you do. Taking inspiration and wisdom from our guests, we will hear stories, strategies, tips and tricks. Told by leading names in sport and beyond. Who know what it takes to get to the very top. There will be two episodes each week packed with amazing stories and practical takeaways for us all to follow. Search for Mindset Win on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app.